I like beer. Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer the Podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer the Podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 12 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today, I'm joined by Jay Friedman. He is the coffee director of Compa Coffee Roasters in the Adams Avenue neighborhood of San Diego. It took me like three times to get the name close to right. My bad, Jay. I don't know why that breaks my mouth. Jay and I are going to get into his journey from fighting fires to coffee shop work to being the coffee guy in the neighborhood. If you've got a moment while listening today, I'd appreciate it if you'd head to roastwestcoast.com and subscribe to the newsletter. You'll find show recaps, more coffee news, education, and updates on what's happening with guests and partners of this show. The newsletter is always free, but we don't mind if you decide to pay for a subscription or just buy us a cup of coffee. Speaking of coffee, it's time to go fill up your coffee cup, or refill it, or start the brew, because it is time for this week's Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast interview with Big J from Compa Coffee. I'm drinking a single-serving Momentum Roast from Marea Coffee. It's one of those little single-use tea bag coffees. Rob Machado is staring at me from the package using his good vibe smile to inspire me to do a good job on the show today. Starting now. But it's nice to nice to meet you, Jay. I'm Ryan. Obviously, we can't see each other today, but uh, I'm glad you're here on the Roast West Coast podcast. Thank you, man. I'm glad to be here. I want to get into a bunch of stuff, but to get started, if you could, for the tape, just let us know your name, uh, where you're working, what your job title is, and your favorite Ninja Turtle. Oh, shit. Okay. My name is Jay Friedman. I am the coffee director for Compa Coffee Roasters, and therefore Hawthorne Coffee. My favorite Ninja Turtle, I'm going to go outside of the box here and say Master Splinter, because there would be no Ninja Turtles have there be no Master Splinter. Whoa, that, uh, that's the first time I've heard that, and so that's some, uh, that's some big picture thinking right there. You know, I wasn't like a huge Ninja Turtle kid growing up. I was more of like into the Power Rangers and stuff like that. I really had like a special embodiment with the Black Power Ranger. I thought that guy was so cool. But I respect the Ninja Turtles, man. Game, respect, game. <laughs> I, I hate to like make assumptions, but I'm, I can guess someone's age based on what cartoons they watched or what kid shows they watched growing up. Yeah. I'm not going to do that on the air, but when I hear Power <laughs> Rangers, I think that's my brother's age. That's like his demographic. And it could be a year, we could be a year or two apart and we could have watched totally different things, which I think 100%. 100%. Before we go too far, I want to clarify the relationship between Com- uh, Compa Coffee Roasters and Hawthorne. 
So we started as Hawthorne Coffee is the name of our cafe on Adams Avenue. We've had that for six years now. About two years ago, oh man, more now, three or four years ago, we wanted to get our hand into roasting, but we knew that Hawthorne was kind of, with all due respect, a name that we didn't want to move forward with. It didn't necessarily represent our brand or what we were trying to achieve with our coffee. Therefore, we started Gompa Coffee Roasters. Um, it's unfortunately like changing your LLC and changing all of that information is so hard. We decided to keep Hawthorne Coffee as a standalone cafe, as its own restaurant that sells our coffee. And then moving forward, our cafes will be called Gompa Coffee uh, and so on. So you were with Hawthorne before um, uh, Compa came about. Am I saying that right, Compa? Yeah, it's supposed to be like compadre, but people just say compa like it's slang. Got it. So you were with them before. What was your role before, and then how did you transition into this new role of coffee director? Hawthorne hired me. I was working a seasonal job, and my I thought my season ended. Basically, I was a wildland firefighter, and often those jobs are seasonal, and the season doesn't necessarily have an end date but they basically start cutting you loose i had to go find a job in 2016 hawthorne hired me i unfortunately literally i think my first day of training i got called to go back to a fire so i showed up my first day at 5 a.m halfway through my shift hey i'm sorry this training has been so much fun and i'm learning so much and you guys are awesome but i have to go back to my old job so i worked fire for two more months and then came back in december of 2016 got hired like not even as a barista at that point i think they were like really unsure obviously on what i could even be doing or how serious i was taking my position there uh therefore they didn't want to initially like make me embrace like totally understand i started you know dishes as food bar back register kind of stuff over the course of years i watched what the person above me did i was watching what my managers did what my baristas were doing on a day-to-day basis learning their flow and learning why they did what they did so that when their positions opened up either because they moved up or they moved out i moved up and I was like in a managerial head barista-ish position when we started Gompa, in which case I tagged along. The owner, Dylan, was learning how to roast kind of as we were starting Gompa, both on a taking classes at the California Roasting Collective as the first, to my understanding, the first wholesale project for them was us. So we were taking classes from Elliot and we were also on a email basis with Scott Rao and asking him a lot of information. And I think he was really pivotal in us starting and us being able to gather that much information. Interesting. So you are you still participating in fire relief now? Man, I wish I could. Um, unfortunately, that takes dedication that necessitates a lot more. Also, unfortunately, it's a really weird story, but unbeknownst to me, in those two months that I went back to the fire, I actually got hurt on a fire. And without throwing anybody under the bus, post it happening, I basically got told to sleep off my injury. 
it didn't get taken care of. It didn't get workers comped. I got hired at Hawthorne. They noticed me with a limp and said, hey, man, you should go get that checked out. Hawthorne paid a full day's pay for me to go get an MRI when the federal government told me to sleep it off, which was amazing because I found out that I had a torn meniscus and I had all these issues. My hip was imbalanced and my spine was being affected and all these things that caused me to spend a few years repairing it myself on a barista salary, which as we know is, uh, you can't really pay for physical therapy off that. So I had to put fire on the back burner because respectfully, I didn't want to show up as 50% of a firefighter. I want to show up with my knee rebuilt and everything that I could be. And I think in that time, I kind of fell in love with coffee and fell in love with hospitality. And I luckily enough, I found a home at Hawthorne. So that's where I'm at now. And I'm going to get on a soapbox here for anybody who's listening to this. Excuse me, for anyone who's listening to this later and just say that I think baristas should be get paid more in general, but also the way that we have these seasonal fireworkers and just send them home at the end of the summer without benefits and, and all of that is insane. Uh, even now in 2021, 2022, I know there's been efforts to change that, but I mean, in a state like California, you'd think that we'd be taking care of people who are dealing with fire. I mean, we can address so many issues, starting with the toxic masculinity of sleep it off and not addressing our injuries and afraid to like really speak up and say like, hey, no, fuck you. Like I'm, I excuse my language. Um, hey, I'm hurt. I think this needs to be addressed. It could start there. It could be as far as saying like health benefits and workers comp and checking up on all of these things on the health of our firefighters who are literally fighting nature as it fights back on an annual basis, on a growing basis while we're all just trying to kind of ignore the whole thing, there's a lot to it. That being said, coming to Hawthorne and not even being there a month and hearing, hey, why don't you go get this MRI? I will pay for it. Like I, Because I wouldn't take the day off, I was that stubborn. I was still that toxic with myself and not giving myself the space and not giving myself the money or the attention that I think that really needs and necessitates. And luckily enough, I was simply shown the love and that little... Uh, sentiment of like, hey man, here's a hundred bucks. It's a day's pay. Go get an MRI. It's just worst comes to worst, nothing's wrong. Or, excuse me, I guess the worst comes to worst is you're horribly injured. So, solving that question, not it in a sense bought my loyalty, for lack of better words, because I mean I just felt actually cared for for the first time, which is so ironic going from the literal federal government. I was a U.S. Forest Service employee to being a small business employee and getting like way better attention, affection, consideration. I mean, it's been amazing. That's one of the things that makes small business unique in general is that a lot of small businesses start as family businesses. Hawthorne is a, was a father and son team kind of that got things going there. I grew up in a family business. And then as you add employees, they just become part of the family, especially in successful businesses you see very early on that caring for people is good for both for your mental health, but your bottom line and, and so many more things. Uh, you mentioned toxic masculinity and, and the idea of sleeping it off. And it just kind of brought back this whole wave of emotions um, and memories from when I was a kid and being knocked unconscious, like during a sporting event, and then, you know, essentially being told to walk it off. And that idea to rub dirt on it was a big, you know, kind of stereotypical saying for so long. And I'm curious to know how 
how this generation that's coming up now that is at least given a chance to not maybe have some of those things ingrained into them from such a young age. You mentioned that you were still feeling that way about yourself, like you should do those things uh, when you started at, at Hawthorne. I'll be curious to see in, in 15, 20 years, 30 years, how these generations are are treating uh, employees or coworkers or how future small business owners are either not even realizing that was a thing at some point or are dealing with new issues um, that we can't even predict yet. I think that all businesses are judged by their own metrics. You have your own metrics to success and some success is the bottom line or the profit margin. Some success is your employees happiness. And I think being empathetic with your employees is a big metric of success for me personally, because that's how I was taught when I started at Hawthorne, that this is what empathy can feel like when you receive it. When somebody says, Hey, you're going through something and I want to help you out for the sake of helping you out. When I wrote my training manual originally three years ago, I started three or four years ago, I started training employees in my training manual. I like to say that I don't care if you take these skills, quit tomorrow, go somewhere else. That's none of my business. The fact of the matter is we're all here in this same room. And I want in the term of you're only as strong as your weakest link. There's no reason to have a weak link if you care about each other. And there's no reason to not be empathetic to each other and to not care and ask and learn about each other because that is so much of a metric of success to me, a low turnover rate, a this idea that your employees are going on bragging like I work at Hawthorne, the idea that if one of my employees, for whatever reason it doesn't work out, they put on their resume Hawthorne Coffee and they go somewhere and somewhere when the, somebody else looks at that resume and says, whoa, you worked at Hawthorne Coffee? You must have experience with being empathetic, hospitable, serving great coffee, whatever the the that is. Um, I think that's a huge metric of our success. I want to take a step back. I normally start shows by jumping into a little backstory and we went way past that right away. Yeah. I, I'm wondering about you. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Did you have a first experience with coffee that made you think, you know, this is interesting? Or was was that something that happened after you started at Hawthorne? Honestly, coffee was never like a thing for me growing up. I grew up only child, not rich, but we had a we had dinner on our plate every night. My parents worked full time, both of them. I spent a lot of time either by myself or learning how to make friends. And I think that kind of taught me that relationships, what's the word like when you, you're friends with your dog, but it's un, do you know what I'm talking about? But it's unrequited. Yeah. Something like that where like you can't fuck it up and they love you no matter what. I always yeah. hated that idea. I always thought that like every day we show up empathetic and caring about each other and and that taught me growing up that like if I if I am a you know dickhead if I walk around like a jerk to people they're not gonna like me like nobody has to like me nobody has to care about me nothing like that like my parents do but so I try to walk around as a caring person um, and that brought me through the restaurant industry working random weird retail jobs dishwashing um, until I started at a southern restaurant in North Park where I was front of house and it was my first time like being hospitable and taking people's orders and asking how people are doing and just having casual conversation. 
and I loved it. But as soon as we we were one of the first restaurants in San Diego that hit like the fried chicken craze, like the Nashville chicken BS. And I was working at this weird restaurant that was coffee, donuts, and fried chicken, which is like a really fucking just eclectic mess. And I was just front of house. And as time went on, I gravitated towards the coffee machine because it was quick and easy. And people after coffee versus hungry people, we know which one we're, we're picking there. So, excuse me, I was on coffee for a while, having a great time. And then I was starting to hear things about my wages and s- noticing my tips were kind of missing and things weren't adding up. Um, when I inquired about it, I was met with full resistance, non-transparency, and like a lot of just like shadiness. I had a few conversations when it interviewed with Ironsmith Coffee up in Encinitas. And I walked in there with like no experience other than hospitality and just saying like, hey man, I heard you treat your employees well. I'm being treated like shit and I would love to work for you. And he hired me on the spot. Matt from Ironsmith would invite me and during the time I was in Fire Academy so I would you know show up at Fire Academy at the border 8 a.m. get out at 5 drive all the way up to Encinitas Matt after closing would bring in chips and salsa and beers and him and I would be in the shop alone and he taught me menu he taught me espresso he taught me this is why we do small batch he taught me all these things and it was the single-handedly the best environment for me to learn in. It was equally hands-on as writing stuff down, as hearing it from a, the, the man himself, like the guy that roasted the coffee himself. He was so confident and chill and took his time. And it was so, again, caring and empathetic, this theme that just kept following me. And I thought that, that was so cool that he invested the time in me, let alone buying the beers and the chips and salsa. And I don't, I don't even know if I was getting paid for that. But just the idea of coming and shooting the shit with you, you know? So I worked at Ironsmith, worked there for a few months, had a fantastic time, got picked up with the Forest Service after I got, actually before I graduated Fire Academy, got picked up, and that was an on-call job. So I was, I would be working at Ironsmith one day and then get the call and, hey guys, I can somebody cover my shift because there's, you know, because LA's on fire and I got to go up to LA. And I think it was like a month or two of that before Iron Smith was like, hey man, uh, so you're gone for two weeks and then you're back for two days and then you're gone for two weeks. It's not really working out for us. And I think initially I was like, oh, like just disappointed that I couldn't do both. Obviously they're not going to staff me. I was, that was my schedule. You work 14 days straight, you come home, you have two days and then you're back on for another 14. So that kind of took over my 2016 until I came back to Hawthorne. That's such a wild balancing act. Matt from Ironsmith has been on this show and and we've talked a lot about his um, strategies. And And it sounds like you learned quite a bit, even in a short time there. Now that you're in the role of coffee director, what lessons have you taken as far as things like sourcing? I mean, it's the first thing that you've mentioned or that is mentioned in the, in the roasters mission statement on the website there. What is your ethos around sourcing and how do you put that into practice as a small roastery? And I'm really interested in it because of just in the last 15 minutes, we've been talking about empathy and your experiences on these other jobs. 
How has that impacted your decision-making process now that you're in the position they were uh, when you started working for them? Obviously, as a small roaster, we're somewhat limited by what we can order, how much we can order. There's shipping prices to be considered and all of these things. All of that being said, we usually have to go through bigger distributors like a Royal, a Red Fox, an Ally, an Onyx, companies like these. We're luckily enough now that these companies are promoting the word I'm looking for, empathy forward coffee, I guess, whether it be a woman's co-op, whether it be a small farmer's co-op, like whatever we can do to order coffees along those lines for now to build those relationships. I mean, there's women owned farms in South America that are the best they've ever been. And the only way to further support them is to order their coffee. So we try to make sure that if we order four coffees on our cupping sample table that one of those samples is from again either a woman's co-op or maybe they're helping drug rehabilitation in south america we've had of a crop recently that took actual trafficked owned drug farms by the cartels in colombia they just made it into coffee farms and they're just trying to get all of that bad stuff off the mountain and the idea that buying coffee rehabilitates the neighborhood in a sense was a promotional idea to me that I was like, hey, man, that's awesome. Because one day I know that we're going to visit one of these farms, hopefully, if we build a, a great enough relationship. And the idea that these farms were using empathy and using all of these things that coincide with what we do here, I think is just a fantastic relationship. And we had a minute of technical difficulties, buffering, buffering, and we're back. And we'll just acknowledge it because sometimes when you're doing stuff virtually and the last two years of COVID, there's technical difficulties. So we lost Jay for a second there. Um, so I'm going to ask him a question that I had already asked him and we're going to just work our way through it, which is essentially Hawthorne and Copa Coffee Roasters are in uh, on Adams Avenue in San Diego. And for anyone who doesn't know that area, uh, there's all these neighborhoods that are kind of connected to each other with North Park, Hillcrest, Bankers Hill, University Heights. You know, you walk two, three blocks and you're in a different neighborhood and that has its own really, truly unique vibe. You were only roasting for a short period before COVID hit. How has the relationship with the community either helped or hurt you or how did you guys adapt to COVID when it came along? And then now that we're two years into it, where are things now? Well... When COVID hit, we had no idea how severe it was going to be, how long it was going to last, um, what adaptations were going to need to be made. So everything was kind of on the fly, um, which included setting up an online menu for our cafe and making sure that everybody could put in their orders online, touch-free and handling all that. We had to move our bar to the window, physically move our entire register up to the window, not allow people in the cafe, all of that kind of thing. Um, moving our retail store online, we had next to no online presence pre-COVID, and now we're rapidly focusing on that, growing on that as, as much as one can. Unfortunately, COVID brought staff changes and changed our entire industry mentality about what it means, not only minimum wage, but what it means to be an employee in the hospitality service. I think we had a real awakening of that as far as how to treat one another and all of those kinds of things. 
I will say as far as the neighborhoods go, our neighborhood did not hurt us in the slightest in any way next to COVID. I think it only helped us. Um, San Diego is very geographically split into hills and valleys. I grew up in the valley, and I think it's very not very community-oriented in the valley. It's kind of split, and you live there, and I live here, and we go about our days, and we'll drive to wherever. But as soon as I moved up here, I probably worked at Hawthorne for three years, and then I moved on to Adams Avenue genuinely because I loved it so much, and I didn't want to drive to work anymore. When I moved up here, I really noticed how actually community-oriented it is, how many festivals are on the street, how many just how much the community loves itself. And as you were kind of mentioning, all of these other communities are physically connected to each other, whether it be Normal Heights, North Park, University Heights, City Heights. And there is no wall that stops one neighborhood to the next. We're all one, we're all San Diego. And I think when COVID happened, the one thing that everybody kept doing, you stop seeing your barber, you stopped going out to the bars. You might not go to many restaurants, but damn, this neighborhood was still drinking their coffee and they were still getting it from me. And it was a great experience for me to dislodge from Facebook, from any major news source. I stopped going on all those and I just listened to what the people said in the community. And it was beautiful in the sense that we had existential dread and we had naive optimism. We had ultimate hope. We had uh, whatever it was. It felt natural, and it felt organic, and it felt like this neighborhood. And still to this day, I I brag that at 6 a.m. I'm there serving your coffee, and then at 3 p.m. we're gonna bump into each other at the grocery store, and we're gonna see each other at the gas station. And when I walk my dog down the street, you're gonna beep beep and say what's up because this is our community, and I'm the fucking coffee guy of this community. You know what I mean? Like, I live three blocks from where I work. My I ride my skateboard to work. It takes me under a minute. I love this neighborhood. I love San Diego. And the love that I get back from this neighborhood and from San Diego is so genuinely beautiful. It's therapeutic. And obviously, it's hard not to love San Diego. But once you're here and once you start showing love to it and start being a member of the community, um, I think it, it really sends itself back. That's really interesting. You and I took drastically different approaches to the internet during COVID. I went down the rabbit hole really far, just staying on top of every piece of news. And to the point where it wouldn't have been healthy even during a non-pandemic time. But I have a little bit of a of a compulsive compulsivity in my personality. So I definitely do that. And I had to kind of pull myself back out I do think part of that, though, was I didn't feel as engaged with my neighbors and with my neighborhood the way that you did. You were having those experiences day to day. And I've been repeating this on the show all season, just about how valuable seeing that person at the coffee shop is or how valuable those what we used to think of as throwaway interactions with the person at the grocery store, with the you know person in the drive through or at the coffee shop how much value those brought to our lives every day without even realizing it. And that's something that I definitely have taken away from, from this experience. 
you mentioned a little bit earlier your efforts uh, to really focus online and to get that going, how you didn't have an online presence presence for the shop previous to COVID, and now it's becoming more of a focus. Do you think that's true for the craft coffee community in general? Well, I mean, I think it's true for a lot of small businesses because of COVID. But now that we're entering this phase where they're telling us we don't need masks or where we are going to, COVID is going to become something we just live with as if it's a, a thing that is in the world. Do you think it'll stay that way or where do you see the craft coffee community going? I think pre-COVID, the companies that were online or had a big online presence were simply the big ones that, and unbe- I don't know this for sure, it seems like they were paying a third party to do their online source or maybe they had an employee who was like a tech whiz we are respectfully not that um, we are bartenders and firefighters. You know, we we're trying to piece this online store stuff together as we figure it out. And thankfully the owner of Comba and Hawthorne Dylan, he will sit there and read about it and he will figure it out. And here we are with an online store and an online ordering app at toastab.com and all of those kinds of things. We will figure it out. Um, it seemed like, again, before it was just the big, like the Four Barrel and Onyx and these other huge companies that were online. And I think we really saw benefit from companies like Cat and Cloud who would have a community online. And I always took notice of that and thought that that was really cool. And I grew up skateboarding and I saw like what an online community can do for you through in skateboarding. So now that we hit COVID it really promoted me, okay, I'll start a YouTube. I'll start taking photos every week for the social medias. I'll start making sure the online store is updated and all of those things. And as we move out of the hyper-focused COVID, whatever you want to call that period we've had in the past two years, I think as we move out of that, I'm not going to stop doing any of those things, or I don't think Craft Coffee will stop doing any of those things. I think we're all going to have to live with that now. But I think that those bigger companies don't have that leg up anymore on us. I think before it was genuinely a leg up on us. They had an online presence and we had no presence. But now that we're all there, it somewhat saturated the market. And maybe it made it even better. You have guys like Lance Hedrick, who pre-COVID, he was at Latier competitions. Through COVID, started his online youtube series and now he's killing again thousands of views a week so maybe that's better for the whole um industry in that sense yeah that's really interesting i noticed that you did uh photography is that what got you into it in the first place or was that something you were doing you know just on your own outside of coffee i've always been a photographer as just my own hobbies i've shot for skateboard companies in and out of modeling and all those kinds of things. When I started at Hawthorne, I would I love to do product photos just because we had an Instagram. And after a while, I kind of started running the Instagram. Through COVID, it brought that all back for me. And once I kind of had this idea like, oh, should I start a YouTube? And like, maybe I'll make tutorial videos. I got a lot of support from my friends and from the staff at Hawthorne. And it was like a, why aren't you already kind of conversation Um, And so I really got to combine my passion and love for photography and use the knowledge that I have. And, you know, that brought on the podcast and 
I've just been having a lot of fun with it. Well, you just you brought up podcasts. You do a lot of different things besides your job, which is commendable. But you you also host a podcast for the Roastery, and you used to host a podcast, which I th- I don't know. I think is still around, Sprocast. Um, how did you get started in the podcast space, and then what are you hoping to accomplish with your new podcast? Originally, Sprocast was started in 2018. I was invited on. We had four hosts, one being Siri Simran is the roaster at Lofty Coffee still. She's the coffee director there. She is uh, an absolute genius when it comes to everything coffee and hospitality. Also, somebody that through this whole experience has taught me genuinely so much about empathy, what it means to be empathetic to one another. She is a coffee professional that I look up to in close to every single way. Um, she has the cleanest bar in the city and smiling employees. And that is something to really look up to. And I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt just real quick to say that for people that listen to my show, they know Siri because she's done maybe 20 episodes with me as one of our coffee smarter experts. And she will never like self promote herself. And so I'm glad that you said all those nice things about her just now. It's insane how humble she is for how much knowledge she genuinely like genuinely has and she's so willing to share it and i really think if there are more people like siri in this world in this industry we would be so much better off she's seriously somebody to learn from so when she uh asa is or spromethius on youtube and my other our other friend troy who was at the time a barista in the city they three came to me and said hey we're thinking about doing this podcast. Would you be down to sit with us once a week, just have a conversation? And to me, I thought if I was in a room, at least listening to the conversation that you three were having, I would learn something. I would take away something. So I made it a thing for myself that every Monday I'm going to go get a meal I really like, and I'm going to go sit down with my friends, and we're going to hang out together. We're going to have this great conversation, and then we're going to go. And every week, that's exactly what it was. It got better and better as time went on. We became closer and closer. We had so many guests on from all these various different walks of life. Because we had four hosts, it may have been a little chaotic at times, both audio-wise and organizationally, like coming together. And, you know, for you and I to get together on this was way easier than getting the four of us plus guests into a room but the idea that every monday we somehow worked out our schedules to all come together and every week found other ways found ways to see each other regardless of even this broadcast meeting uh it was so beautiful i think that covid and time um we we fizzled out we grew apart and we all had to focus on our own businesses and i think that we wanted to bring Sprocast back in a really serious light, but uh, we all have full-time jobs that we needed to focus on, and we wanted to respect those jobs, I think. Sure. And I think that for people who listen to podcasts, I mean, I, I actually listened to Sprocast before I started this show. There's a lot more that goes into it than just the 40 minutes that you're recording a show or an hour that you're recording a show. And and a lot of it is just time, you know, for every minute of recording, I spend between five and 10 minutes, you know, on the other side of it, doing something else, whether it's editing or posting online or whatever it is. And so that all adds up. And when it's not your 
it's when it's not your job or when you're not getting paid for it, it really is just kind of a labor of passion, which is what it sounds like that was. But maybe now that we are kind of, we, we've all been moving forward through the world. Um, I think, I think we've been moving forward. It's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, it really is. But maybe there'll be a Sprocast reunion. Maybe that becomes like the thing every year Sprocast gets together for one big blowout. You know, I, I would love that so much. And I'm so lucky that when we did Sprocast, I love the idea of like writing down questions and getting guests together and doing that whole thing. And I hate editing. And <laughs> I, I doubt I edited two minutes of that entire podcast. If Siri Simmer and Asa didn't edit that podcast, it wouldn't have been edited. So God forbid the tax that was put on them through that, which now I'm learning by doing my own podcast, like, editing is a real uh it's fun is what it is and <laughs> you know like getting your mics right and getting everything set up so that you have to spend the least amount of time editing it's so tough and i really respect siri and asa both for putting their time and energy into that and i imagine that's another reason why it fizzled out over time all of that being said as far as Sprocast getting together for one year for a blowout i couldn't imagine anything more fun i would love to have all all, to have all of our guests back on as well, since we only had a couple hundred episodes, maybe 100 episodes. <laughs> we didn't have a guest every week, but that would be one hell of a party. It would be a great way to uh, to start a new era. I don't want to not talk about your podcast. You are also doing a podcast for the Roastery or on behalf of the Roastery. What, what are your goals there? I listened to the first couple episodes. It's still really new. Who should be listening to that show, and what are what are you bringing to the table with that? I'm looking to achieve the same thing from the Compa Coffee Roasters podcast as I did with Sprocast, which is basically I learn a lot of things through conversations. And if I can write down some questions that I have, I imagine other people have them too, and we can learn about this together. I think in the in the sense of the questions you're asking me right now, somebody's going to learn from this podcast just from us having an hour-long conversation right now. I love the idea that somebody could listen to us and learn. Therefore, I want to keep diving and keep learning on this uncensored journalistic level where I can ask whatever questions I want respectfully, as long as they're respectful, and you can answer them and we can have this talk and it's very endearing. I love that. As far as who should be listening, it's anybody that wants to learn about San Diego, hospitality, coffee, drinks in general. I'm going to have on bartenders and baristas and barbers and chefs and anybody that wants to have a conversation. Um, it's probably not going to be super like political or anything like that, but it's going to be a little more fun and less taxing than that, ideally. <laughs> It somehow seeps in. I used to have a sign. Um, I used to run a bar and I had a sign over the bar that said, you can talk about anything you want, but except politics. And whenever somebody would bring up politics at the bar, I would just point at the sign and not acknowledge them in any other way. And that was our rule. Amazing. I don't want to get too far away since we're getting a little bit further into this conversation. I want to make sure that I'm asking you about the coffee that's coming out of your shop. And if you guys have developed sort of an ethos about the coffee or what is it that you think that you guys do really well, or that if people were to go and explore and say, check out the coffee shop or order beans online, what can they expect from what you guys are doing? 
I think they should expect coffee to be served and made and sourced by people who have been doing this for a few years. I think people should expect that I would never serve you a cup that I hadn't dialed in and tasted myself. I think our ethos on coffee is to source great coffee, but to also respect it when we roast it and when we brew it. We know that we are responsible for every step of the way from green to cup, and that is in respect to both the customer and the farmer. I think that it's a big responsibility to take that on, and I'm having a lot of fun learning how to do that in the best light. I think that when people come to Compa and when people taste our coffee, they should expect that our entire team is simply wanting to be better than they were yesterday and knowing that we're not going to be as good as we will be tomorrow. And with that being said, we're tasting every cup and we're learning from it. We're learning, damn, this is better than the last one because of this. But we can also look forward to these ways to improve every cup, man. And we're becoming so much more of a scratch kitchen by making our own syrups, by making our own almond butters and mayonnaise and all these different things. We just started cold press juicing this week. Sourcing coffee was our first step. And we're just getting further and further. I'm so lucky that I got to take on the coffee director role. So I don't necessarily have to worry so much about the kitchen and the mayonnaise and the almond butters. I get to focus on literally looking at these distributor lists and finding great coffees and sampling them myself, tasting every single one and making choices of what we taste, knowing that if any customer comes in the cafe and they'll look at our menu and they say, salted maple, is that good? The question, is that good, will always be yes if it's on our menu because we've all tasted it and we all agree that it's awesome. Is there anything that we haven't talked about today that you want people to know about Compa Coffee Roasters? Anything that you think would maybe tip them over the edge of saying this is this is a place. I mean, you've said a lot of great things, obviously, but just anything that we didn't talk about that we should have or that I should have asked. No, I can't think of anything that you didn't ask. No, I can't. <laughs> All right. I did a good job today. Yeah, you uh, did. Yes, you did. I tried to do a little bit of research this week. Yo, you killed it, man. I really appreciate it. So then the last question that I'll ask you today is, when you are getting a cup of coffee, when you're out in the world, not at your own roastery, what is it that you're ordering? Easy answer. I spent a long time trying to get espressos place to place, and you learn that not everybody dials in for you, and you learn that not every barista is an espresso head, and you learn all these things. It's a waste of $3 every single time. The number one thing I recommend doing, the number one thing I started ordering is simply a batch brew. Um, it's one of the cheapest things you can get. It's one of the easiest things you can get. It's something they should always have online. And it's something that's so easy as a coffee director for me to come in and dial in and know that every day my batch brew is fantastic. And I focus on that so much because so many customers come in and when they say, hi, I want a coffee, what they mean is they want a batch brew. And to make sure that they have an over-the-top best batch brew that they've ever had is one of the best ways to ensure a returning customer with a smile. Sure. And that batch brew will be their gateway coffee into a pour over, into a single origin, into something. So else. many other things. I appreciate all of your time today. And, and I appreciate that you took some time to share with me. And uh, I look forward to getting down to Hawthorne and, and getting down to try your coffee and to meet you in real life. 
Ryan, thank you so much. I appreciate you investing the time to think about some questions, to consider us as a worthy guest of your show. Uh, I've listened to a few episodes, and I really appreciate your care towards San Diego Coffee, man. Thank you so much for what you do. To recap, apparently Jay is more of a Power Rangers guy than a Ninja Turtles guy. I don't understand it because I've never seen an episode of the Power Rangers. It was after my time, but I'm going to take Jay's word for it that it was pretty cool. I left this conversation with Jay in more of a reflective mood than normal. The question he asked that I kept coming back to is, what metric do you use to judge the success of your business, your career, your life? Of course, I was thinking it about me and not about you. Jay also touched on something that seems very applicable to the current moment in hospitality, job loyalty. There are a lot of coffee shops and coffee roasters hiring at the current moment, and there have been for a while. How does the growing number of coffee roasters and cafes that are opening attract and retain good employees, especially at a moment when there seems to be less people going into hospitality than ever before? That is going to be a theme in some of the upcoming shows as well. If you're listening and looking for a job in coffee, check out the coffee jobs thread on roastwestcoast.com. It's still new, but some good jobs are being shared there. You can also follow at roastwestcoast on Instagram. I'm sharing new jobs in the stories with the hashtag coffeejobs almost daily. Before I go today, I want to wish a happy anniversary to you all. We just passed the two-year mark of what was the public kickoff of the COVID-19 pandemic. The NBA shut the basketball season down first, other sports followed, and then state of emergencies were declared, and we took a break from the world for a while. We've all been on our own journey through this pandemic. To those of you who've lost someone or gotten sick, or lost a job, or had their world turned upside down in some other way, you're not alone. We're all dealing with this awful weight. But for the moment things feel a little optimistic, at least on the COVID front where I am in California today, and I hope it stays that way. Regardless, I want to say thank you to the guests, supporters, and listeners of this coffee podcast. You've become a stabilizing force in my life and kept me saner than I have any right to be. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And thank you just for listening to this episode today right now. I'll be back with another episode, a Coffee Smarter Session, all about milk and latte art later this week with Siri Simran Khalsa, the Executive Director of Lofty Coffee. I also want to thank our coffee industry partners, especially Zumbar Coffee and Tea, who invited me to come hang out on their patio with my microphone last week. I want to say what's up to Gene and Matthew and Kate and Luciano, who are just some of the fine folks who hung out with me last Friday morning. Check back for some audio from that in-person appearance, in this week's Coffee Smarter episode coming in a few days. And I don't want to forget our other industry partners, including Café La Terre, who are celebrating their one-year anniversary, Ignite Coffee Company, Moster Coffee Company, shout out to Sam and Bev, congrats on the new edition, Leap Coffee, Marea Coffee, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, and First Light Whiskey. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.
Hey there, thanks for listening all the way through to the end of the show. If you liked this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, and you want more and more coffee content, please consider buying us a cup of coffee or signing up for a paid subscription to the Roast West Coast newsletter. That would be very cool of you. And with enough subscribers, we'll be able to focus on creating coffee content for you all day, every day. Those subscriptions are a great way to show appreciation for this show. Just head to roastwestcoast.com to subscribe or leave a tip. And this month, as a reminder, I'll donate 100% of the new subscriber proceeds to a humanitarian aid group supporting Ukrainian refugees. There are links on roastwestcoast.com to some of those groups if you're interested in doing so yourself. Thanks again for listening, everyone.